I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Welcome to Heroes 3, the bi-weekly podcast where three friends explore the best, worst, and everything in between in the world of Asian cinema. And this week we're taking a little bit of a different approach. We're moving a little bit further east and taking a look at several films over the next uh, several episodes from Japan. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're starting with one of the all-time classics of Japanese cinema, and that is Yojimbo by Akira Kurosawa from 1961. This was kind of a recommend, not recommendation, this is kind of a pick from the two of you guys. So what's kind of the idea behind picking this one? Yeah, well, um, oh, sorry, go for it. Okay. I kind of set you up for failure there, no, sorry. it's okay, it's okay. Uh, Carlos, go for it. Okay, well, I was thinking, you know, with our show, we're covering a lot of Hong Kong action naturally, and every movie we've covered so far has been a ton of fun, but I kind of wanted to broaden our reach, and uh, I thought maybe this is a good way to start with that. Action in Japan has a long history just as well as across the ocean in Hong Kong. So I'm really excited to do this and excited to see where we can, you know, find like more more gems in the action cinema. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. Marty, uh, you have a bit of history with Japanese action. I, I'm not exactly sure what your history is with it. Yeah, a bit. It, it definitely doesn't uh, run as deep as... Uh as with you know hong kong action um but certainly with the films of kurosawa and uh just with a lot of the rich tradition of japanese cinema um something you know always been fascinated with and you know we have we've sort of talked about japan here and there as some of our hong kong films have uh you know involved uh japan or the japanese but in those movies, they're always portrayed as some sort of villain. So it's really only fair <laughs> the that very we least kind of, an adversary. Yeah, that we kind of, um, you know, turn our attention to really the great tradition of Japanese cinema. And to be totally frank, you know, Hong Kong was really trying to catch up with the quality and caliber of Japanese cinema, you know, in the period, uh, say, of like, come drink with me. Um, and then, you know, in the decades that followed. Um, so, yeah, and really when the three of us we're kind of brainstorming this show. It was important that we titled it Adventures in Asian Cinema. In, in Asian Cinema, because we wanted those doors open to, you know, to Korea. go to Japan or maybe to go to Korea or Thailand or, you know, wherever, India. wherever the wind will. Yeah. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, wherever the wind will take <laughs> us. Just like in Street Fighter, in the game, when you <laughs> go to the next stage, it's like, Japan! Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of like Street Fighter and video games and everything, we're also kind of riding high because this is our first episode since we had our little reunion, like in person. Oh, yeah. uh, the three of us yeah. were all at MAGFest in Washington, D.C. And yeah, we Yeah, if any of you guys followed so the Twitter, fun. then we post a couple pictures of the three of us because yeah. we actually got to hang out and we spent a good bit of time together during the, the whole weekend. And so much and fun. had a good... Had a really good brainstorming session talking about ideas, and that's how we came up with this. Yeah, um, we we got a uh, shout out to Alex who gave us a very interesting gift <laughs> that I'm sure will be a future episode. Yeah, oh my gosh, we don't uh, have a choice now, do we? <laughs> oh no, we have to. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be fun. Um, 
I, I kind of liked, too, we kind of had a touchstone at MAGFest that was a little unexpected right. because when I was looking at the program schedule, there was actually a panel, kind of like an introduction to martial arts cinema, and we all got to attend it, and I kind of feel like it was a little bit of a confidence boost <laughs> for us because, like, we didn't that's know one, that, that's, that. That's a positive way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I had a great time, and... Yeah, I just fun. realized that this is something that we can approach too. So I definitely would like to see if we can do something at MAGFest next year, similar to oh, yeah. the panel we attended. But Amazing. yeah, if, if we could do it, it'd be a lot of fun. And I already have some great mm-hmm. ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, and speaking of great ideas, Matthew mentioned, you know, we got up to some brainstorming when the three of us were together. Uh, and so not only are we looking at a whole different country, a different tradition of cinema, but we also hope to kind of really take a different approach with the show going forward. Yeah, we decided that it would probably make more sense to, instead of just kind of going chronologically through the movie, that we would instead have a couple of different like segments and like focus on the movie just as a whole, look at the background, look at specific moments that we really liked throughout the movie and, and things like that. And it would kind of make the, you know, make it flow a little better and and hopefully be able to introduce people who maybe don't know the movie to the movie without them feeling like they have to see it before before jumping yeah, into the absolutely. episodes. Right. We're trying to find this balance between rewarding people that are into the movies themselves mm-hmm. and uh, kind of not intimidating people that <laughs> are trying to get into things. So, yeah. uh, you know, we're still kind of tweaking things around and you know, hopefully everybody ends up having a good time, but yeah. Um, say if anyone listening has any suggestions, feel free. We have email, just here's three podcasts at gmail.com. Yeah, or you can always yeah, hit us up on Twitter or always drop us a line, anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but I think we've had enough preamble and I think we should jump into the movie. So what is um what is you guys' history with watching the movie? Because I I've heard of this movie before. And after seeing the movie, I realized that I actually had seen the movie, only it was Western starring Clint Eastwood and it was called <laughs> A Fistful of Dollars. Oh, man. Yeah, I can't uh, I can't wait to get into that. Uh, for me... So we'll probably get into that after we cover the movie. Yeah. Oh, I hope so. Uh, for me, it actually, um, once again, uh, goes back to my dear friend, Meng, who really, uh, you know, we had uh, our own sort of like little movies club uh Heroes 2 or Padawans 2 or something um, <laughs> and went through a lot of uh, Kurosawa films um, and Yojimbo was I think one of the early Kurosawa films that that I watched and um, I actually think it's a great introduction to Kurosawa to, to Shiro Mifune to just this period of Japanese cinema in general. I think something like Seven Samurai or maybe for some people Rashomon are kind of hailed as you know sort of the ultimate classics and definitely movies you should you know, you shouldn't miss. Um, but there's something just yeah. so accessible about your Jimbo. And I think it's, it's a softer turn coming from some of our Hong Kong tradition, um, just into sort of the storytelling and, and really even uh, though it's brief, some of the action in Yojimbo. Yeah. I think that Yojimbo is much more, uh, digestible when it comes to Kurosawa's, right. uh, and Mifune's work together. And, um, I mean, I'd seen Seven Samurai and Rashomon, and I did remember parts of Yojimbo, but I honestly wasn't as familiar with it as I am now, obviously. So mm-hmm. it was really fun to take a comb and, you know, go through all the details of this movie. 
it's it's a great movie. I mean, visually it's stunning, and Mifune just kind of he you, owns you, the screen. Yeah, you can't look like, away from him. Yeah, so he has um, like Bruce Lee level of presence yeah. throughout the movie. Yeah, I mean he's he's, he's got to be up there with just one of the greatest actors to have ever done it sure he's mm-hmm. got like a you know like a marlon brando or like a you know yeah some, this yeah. kind of like screen presence that's like really amazing to yeah. see yeah now did you guys know maybe i said this earlier but toshiro mifune was actually george lucas's top choice to play obi-wan kenobi i saw that I heard about yeah that. but uh, which but that's, i think that's... His, his english just wasn't maybe kind of at that level or or whatever but it's interesting like watching your Jimbo with that sort of lens. It's like if the rumored, you know, solo Obi-Wan Kenobi movie ever happens, like they should, they wouldn't, yeah, they wouldn't be doing, doing the wrong thing, taking some nods from this movie. I think. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. I thought I, I read somewhere that it was something like his agent told him it wasn't a good idea to do it. Maybe it was, (laughs) it did have to do with his uh, command of English, but wow. yeah. Well, I think I mean what... Alec Guinness had his his own reservations too. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say Alec Guinness wasn't a massive fan of Star Wars. Yeah, uh, who knows he's just, what... you know a consummate professional, but he definitely yeah. thought it was a, a stupid, crazy kids movie. Which it's one of those things. Whenever you study the background of the original Star Wars, and you're like, I get why people didn't want and put a lot of faith into this. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of a miracle that it's as amazing as it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking of Star Wars, you can see a lot of influence on Star Wars from Kurosawa. Yeah, films. absolutely. There's uh, a really interesting, um, I think it's still available online somewhere. It's this ebook called The Secret History of Star Wars. And the author goes pretty deep kind of mining the origins of the making of the original film. And there was a huge turning point for George Lucas sort of breaking the story. A lot of us know like his first draft was a little bit wild and crazy and not very sort of tight plot wise. But apparently, and I can't remember the book, but there was there was this book at the time that had, you know, descriptions of, you know, hundreds or maybe even thousands of movies, something like, uh, you know, there's like the Leonard Malton guide to movies. Mm. Uh, it may have been something like that. Anyways, in that book, there is a description that's like maybe a, a paragraph description of The Hidden Fortress, another Kurosawa film. Right. And apparently George Lucas rewrote that paragraph almost like word for word and just kind of played around with it and and used that as like kind of a, a helpful structure to kind of like turn the direction of his next draft of the screenplay. So uh, in addition to all the visual nods and everything, there's just, there's a lot of Kurosawa in, in Star Wars and yeah. And, and now there's a lot of Star Wars in just about everything. So it's, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And, yeah. and regarding Yojimbo, you know, it was kind of like Kurosawa at the time, uh, he was influenced a lot by westerns that had come out before that but then yeah. when yojimbo came out he kind of changed the setting of samurai films and that in turn influenced westerns following that so it's, <laughs> right. it's kind yeah. of crazy how you know east influences the west and then the west influences it, it influences the east and just back and forth yeah it's really that cool. was what i thought when i when i watched through yojimbo was that I was thinking this feels like a Western mm-hmm. and like not only just because it has it's, you know, Fistful of Dollars is essentially a remake, but just like the style of it, the whole, you know, that there's literally a shot of an empty street with him with the 
Toshiro Mifune's character standing at the end of it, silhouetted with like the wind blowing. It's like that's totally a Western shot. Yeah, absolutely. The difference being is is like the cinematography in this movie is just oh yeah the top. It's like you can't get any better than this. It looks amazing. So the first kind of segment that we're going to try is uh, we decided to call it the back of the VHS because for those that are even younger than me that are listening, <laughs> um, whenever you got your movie and you you know you didn't couldn't immediately watch it like you don't you know didn't have a computer you can pop it in or whatever. You had the back of the box, and the back of the box had, you know, a little blurb that says what the movie's about. So we're going to jump into that. Toshiro Mifune plays a samurai with no particular name, though he goes by Kuho Boy, that's a name. Um, <laughs> oh, you want me? I can take that. I was going to say, you, you can try <laughs> tap, that one. Tap in, Carlos. <laughs> Kuwabatake Sanjuro. There you go. Which actually, Sanjuro I got. But, yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> means 30-year-old mulberry field. Yeah. Uh, we'll explain that in a, in a little bit. Um, and he blows into town that's plugged by two rival gangs. He plays both the sides against each other with all kinds of double-crossing and misdirects, but he only gets his comments whenever he decides to do the right thing. He gets almost beaten to death, but then he recovers and is able to finish off the remaining gang members. That's it, that's the cool part about this movie is it's really pretty straightforward. Yeah, right. like there's so much amazing stuff that happens to it, but the plot's pretty. You know, there's not like a whole lot of insanity. There's not like he, it's literally all takes place in one location. And oh man, it's just it's so good. Yeah, like the first time you see it, you know, you might be a little confused about who's doing what and you know, sure, who's you know who's interacting with who, but. You know, oh, yeah. it's it is pretty basic. I enjoyed the movie a lot more the second time I watched it mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it is, you know, it is you, you do have to kind of get through the language barrier and, and understand who they're all referring to and like who the different sides are. And especially whenever you're used to, you know, films in color and you go back to black and white, you know, it's it's easy to shame people for not doing that. But it is difficult whenever mm-hmm. you don't watch much black and white film to kind of get used to that. Yeah, that look. Sure. So now I think it's time to jump into the movie. And this is the first of any of the films that we've watched that is part of the Criterion Collection. So uh, yes. hopefully you're watching this at home with the incredible uh, Criterion Blu-ray or maybe you're subscribed to Filmstruck, which hosts the Criterion Collection streaming. Um, yes. So yeah, no, I found I literally found this at my library. So on oh, Blu-ray awesome. with the Criterion Collection. Yeah, not library only this, comes through again. <laughs> the, yeah, the, man, the transfer library. is so is so beautiful, and oh, uh, yeah. also as with any um, foreign language film in the Criterion Collection, some of the best subtitles that you'll ever come across. Mm-hmm. Um, just in terms of you know idiomatically feeling right, and uh, and also even just the font and the positioning of. Yeah, it sounds crazy. Yeah, but they're great. You, you never, yeah, you never, you never realize just how important font and positioning can be until you watch some crappy fan sub from like the 2001 <laughs> of some anime, and you're like, that okay? Oh man, Hong Kong subs, man. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so let's get started with the very first shot of the film. I mean, it's it's too good. You, you get this kind of tracking shot, and uh, you don't know who you're looking at, but. Um, 
you don't even really need to know because the character has so much personality right away. There's first yeah, the absolutely. you know the title and this uh, samurai kind of walks into frame, just kind of casually looking around, and he's got a little bit of a you know like a twitch. You know, he's he's kind of like itching his head and. And you just kind of follow him walking around, and the well, uh, the music is so good. Oh and, man, God, the music's so amazing in this movie. We've got to call out uh, Masaru Sato, who's the composer of this film, and uh, he he really brings out this kind of like jazz TV kind of mm-hmm. American TV scoring idiom. Yeah, um, I totally. And even my wife. Yeah, and it feels like I, I don't know. She she mentioned Twilight Zone. She's like, oh, that sounds like the oh, Twilight sure. Zone to me. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah it's totally right. that like fifties early 60s kind of style of tv music yeah yeah and it just feels like this great kind of juxtaposition like uh yeah so yeah, yeah and, and it's pretty much one long cut up until the moment mm-hmm. uh where uh this unnamed character kind of reaches a crossroads and he he grabs <laughs> a stick right. <laughs> and he tosses the stick up in the air and the stick lands on the ground and it points him in the direction that he needs to go yeah, so, he, he literally yeah. just throws stick in the air and lets that lead him yeah. to where he wants to go. So we've got no dialogue. We've got, you know, kind of like this music playing, and you already really get a sense of this character and his attitude right. towards life itself. So uh, I, I I love it. It's so good. Yeah, it's one of those opening shots. Like, it, it really has the DNA of the entire film in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Toshiro Mifune kind of front and center and just his charisma just hits you like really hard and the the sharp focus and there's just such sharp focus throughout this whole movie like the beautiful staging and cinematography the really striking fun funky music uh and just Mm -hmm. the visual storytelling like you're saying with like flipping that stick it's you know we all kind of understand uh what that what that means even if we've never seen something like that before yeah so then he walks into town and he's literally greeted by a stray dog running in with a hand, like a disembodied hand in his mouth. And yeah, the music's the music kind of funny. It's like it's kind of silly sounding. Yeah, again, we point. have to mention the music because it characterizes it perfectly. You know, this nameless man's walking into town and he you know it's it's an empty town there's no one around and you know he's kind of just kind of gauging the the area and the first thing he's greeted with is this dog and you see the dog and it has a hand in his mouth a severed hand (laughs) and it's a really lifelike hand i mean he ends up running pretty close to to the camera and yeah it's kind of if you were to just watch this on its own, I think it would be really disturbing or almost seem like something from a horror film or something. But the yeah. underscore does a lot to to kind of just make it seem really strange. And it's almost like you're from Mufune's perspective. It's like, this is just really odd, but it doesn't bode well for this town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, reading through your uh, your notes there, Carlos, mm. I realize I 
should have known that that was the guy's name. <laughs> but I just, every time I notes it wrote the restaurant owner or something, but Gonji <laughs> is the guy's name. Yeah, actually, um, I don't know. Or is Gonji the casket maker? No, he's the guy that runs the, the tavern. Yeah. And um, I can't. Well, they do they refer to him as old man. Yeah, they don't yeah, they really mention his name lot. very often. We we get to meet him, and he's kind of later in the movie. We find out that the unnamed Ronin is known as Sanjuro or Sanjuro, I think is what you said. Yeah. But so we're gonna say Sanjuro to make it easier. But he never actually has a name throughout the film. That's just what he tells people to call him. Right, and this right. is uh, another kind of influence in the westerns when you know Clint yeah. Eastwood with he's the man know, with no name, the man with no name. Yeah, and there's a or great the stranger or Blondie, I think is what they call him in oh, yeah. Well, and even um, in the the lone scene where he does give his name, it's clear that he's he's making at least some of it up on up on the spot, um, which is another great <laughs> char- character touch. Yeah, I I kind of wrote this uh, in my notes, but it's kind of it kind of frustrates me because yeah. I'm a okay, I'm a big Simpsons fan, right? And that's fine. I will kind of watch Family Guy when it first came out, but I don't really like mm. Family Guy. But I can't oh, help but be I reminded. I totally thought of that same joke yeah, whenever like, he did it. Totally a like a scene in Family Guy that totally reminded yeah. me of that where he's... Because he's like looking around looking, there like, oh, my um, name is... Uh, uh, and he's sounding out based on what he sees, but he just says his own name. Uh, my, my name? Uh, 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 P, uh, 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 T, uh... Uh, Griffin. Yeah, yeah, Peter Griffin. Ah, oh, crap. Yeah, right. exactly, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Wait, so but that's, that's where he says Peter Griffin. There's an actual Griffin that appears. And there's yes. a literal <laughs> Griffin. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, that's the thing. I don't really like Family Guy as a whole, but, you know, it's got, it's got that's jokes. That's a good joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. So, uh, but he meets uh, Ganji, and Ganji's like the, he runs the restaurant, slash, you know, kind of like a tavern that's, him and the coffin maker are like the two the two people in the town that that Sanjuro can really trust. Yeah. Well, uh, and Gan- you know, Ganji's almost like the the second most important character after Sanjuro and it yeah. kind of becomes this, you know, his little tavern is like the kind of the base of operations really for our hero. Yeah, right. Gonji, you know, meets him and he asks for food and he tells him, "Oh, you know, I'm not really going to be able to pay you." And he kind of already knows that. But yeah, um, yeah. he kind of gets an idea about what's going on in town thanks to Gonji. And uh, he, you know, he basically tells him everything. Like, we've got two kind of gangs in town and they're always fighting with each other. And one of the things that he says that I really like is about the coffin maker because there's yeah, some yeah. banging going on in the background. And he says, oh, you know, that's the the coffin maker. He's the only guy in town making money. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. really kind and it's of... it's funny when you see him making the coffins. He has just this big smile on his face yeah, as yeah. he's making them. And I really like that, you know, everybody in this movie, you know, their, their acting is almost cartoon-like. You know, each mm-hmm. character has their own kind of way that they walk and very exaggerated expressions and everything. Like, even though the tone of this movie is very serious, I think that all the characters are very distinct among one another. It's surprisingly funny. Like I laughed yeah, more yeah. than once. In the I movie. think that the, yeah, there isn't much humor, but the humor that's in it really got me. Mm-hmm. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's such an interesting tone and really, like we said, it's, it's all there in that opening sequence, just with, 
you know, Mufuni's expression and the music. Uh, yeah, there is something funny about it. And as you, you sort of watch the film from Sandro's perspective, so you're almost at an arm's length. Like, you become more and more invested in the people in this town just as the film goes along. But you're sort of siding with him where it's like, boy, these people are crazy, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And there's something just <laughs> and, kind of easygoing and kind of, I don't know, kind of casual and sort of fun about the tone of the movie, even though a lot of the material is actually pretty dark. Yeah, and the the thing I love about it too is that, you know, after hearing about all of this from Gonji, uh, you know, Gonji expects him to just uh, want to leave. But actually, it's kind of the reverse effect of everything where yeah. um, Mifune's character, you know, says, and it's such an awesome line. He says, like, yeah. listen, old man, I'll get paid for killing. And this town is full of men that deserve to die. How cool is that? Yeah. Oh, man, it's just <laughs> One of so cool. many amazing lines yeah. throughout this film. It's, Again, yeah, the other thing we've got to say the about Criterion translation. Oh, man. Yeah. What's so cool is um, his his robes, his like samurai or. Yeah, you know, his like samurai robes. He's always kind of like sticking his right hand up <laughs> like yeah. yeah, like through yeah, the crease right. he always in the robes and kind of like scratching like himself in them and, and, just... the, and the sleeves are just kind of flopping around. Yeah, yeah it's really cool. And he has this kind of stubbly beard. It's just I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like devil may yeah, care. Yeah, you can actually attitude. It, even the way Yeah, everything tells you something about him too because he's a ronin, so he's a samurai that has no master. He's just kind of out on his own you know, fending for himself. And um, his outfit is like kind of a formal, you know, outfit. And you see like a family crest on it. So you know that at some point, you know, he was in the service of a family or or a lord, but it's all tattered. And, you know, he's he's got stubble and everything. So, (laughs) you know, you kind of get this kind of unspoken history just by looking at how he's dressed. It's, It's really cool. And so he decides that he's going to go and offer to be a bodyguard to one of the two gangs. And it's worth noting that Yojimbo is Japanese for bodyguard. Right. So he goes to first to, uh, hang on, Saibei? Saibei. Saibei. Saibei, yes. Okay, Um, so we should explain this a little bit, too. So there's two gangs. Yeah. Yeah. So what it it is is that Saibei and Ushitora are the the two heads of the two gangs in the town. So it sounds like... um, Ushitora was under Seibei like in the past but what happened was that Seibei chose uh his son Yoichiro to kind of be his second in command and Seibei not liking that split away and started his own gang outside of them so they're kind of feuding in this town and there's a mayor but there's also like one of them's a silk merchant and one of them is a sake brewer and they're both kind of they both say that they're mayors. And then there's this whole thing about uh, there being two bosses in the town. So, like, there's chaos because there's no, like, single, like, person in charge. So, um, uh, Toshiro Mifune's character says, like, you know, I'm going to have to figure out how I can deal with this situation. So what he does yeah. is he goes to one side and say, hey, you know, you want to hire me? Like, I'll prove it to you, you know, that I'm worth it. So, um he says that to Seibei's side, and then he makes his way. And the other thing that I really like is that when he approaches these, you know, everybody's locked in their houses. So you only see yeah. kind of like these people peeking out behind like these wooden bars of their house. And it almost seems like they're animals, you know. And um, he makes his way over to Ushitora's side, who he kind of ran into like some thugs 
a little earlier and uh this is where we kind of get our first like major encounter in the movie yeah yeah oh uh yeah and we should say like what's unique about the action in this film compared to anything that we've seen before it's i would say it's less about the kind of like thrilling back and forth and there's this kind of quiet brutal beautiful thing to it there's usually very little in the way of sort of sound effects sandro's blade just comes out and it flashes quickly and before you know it you know limbs are gone and and yeah. you know people are bleeding yeah, it's, and it is quick and violent yeah like, I don't think any fight scene in the movie lasts longer than maybe 10 seconds, but it's, like, it's intense. Yeah, yeah and I don't so know maybe, if you uh, can really call them fights. It's it's yeah, usually yeah. pretty one-sided. Yeah, that's true. It's usually just Sanjuro wrecking guys and then, <laughs> yeah. and then going away. Yeah, he's very confident in how he, you know, handles himself in these encounters. So he just kind of walks right up to these guys, and he kind of sizes them all up. You know, he's kind of mocking them, saying like, oh, you guys are cute. Like, you couldn't hurt a kitten. And then I like his, like, kind of the three the three guys he kind of dispatches are really crazy-looking characters, like with patchy hair and <laughs> tattoos on their faces. Yeah, these face tattoos. If It's like a yeah. dice or something, right? Yeah, and then the other guy kind of has a bandana over his forehead, and when he, when he pulls off his, he's got <laughs> yeah. a, a kanji mark a kanji tattooed on his forehead and that kanji actually means bad <laughs> it's waru <laughs> that's so it's a it's bad so like th- these guys are like yeah we're tough guys like you don't want to mess with us and you just yeah. kind of look he's like, like wa- bad in my yeah, forehead wa- waluigi basically that dude yeah there's a wario <laughs> that's where wario comes from is waru <laughs> so yeah the the thing about this is that he knows that he has sebe's crew and they're watching so he's he's making this spectacle and you know, the encounter, as quick as it begins, it's over. You know, something like three slashes, and he chops one of the guy's arms off, and he... And that's a really brutal kills. prop, yeah. too. Like, oh, yeah. you see, like, the bone and stuff. It's, yeah, it's, it's rough. it's awesome. And, <laughs> it's um, great. Oh, and it's great whenever he walks away, he walks by the coffin maker and says, uh, hey, <laughs> coffin maker, two coffins. Yeah, two coffins. Uh, uh, better, better make, make that, three. that three. And I think he's yeah. doing that scratching his face thing, too. Yeah, yep. yeah. The other thing about this encounter is that the guy with the dice on his face, you know, he's a Japanese guy, but he has like very distinct Western features. So I looked into him a little bit and his name is Jerry Fujio. And um, he's Uh an actor that appeared in a lot of movies, but he actually has some songs too. And I think I shared a link with you guys a little while ago. Oh yeah, you totally did. Oh, that's what that was. Yeah. That's the same guy from the movie singing. He's kind that's of crazy. A crooner. So I thought that huh. was kind of cool. That's fun. Dude, but that's yeah, awesome. with with this encounter, he's already done what he needs to, you know. Then that's whenever he goes over to the other side. Yeah. Uh, and he says that he's going to be bodyguard to Saibe. Yes. Yes. So. You know, he's starting to bargain now. Yeah, and, it's and that's right. We this sh- is this is whenever he uh, Saibe is asking, "What should we call you?" And right. that's when he he's looking out, out the window, window, yeah, and sees a mulberry field and says, "Call me thirty-year-old mulberry field," which translates to the the what we were saying earlier. Right. But yeah, he's like thirty-year-old. Eh, it's closer to forty though. <laughs> well, what's great about this too is it's uh, like if you read that on paper, uh, I think you might interpret one kind of scene, but. Everyone in the room gets that he's just sort of making it up based on the mulberries outside. It's a really, <laughs> yeah. it's a really cool moment, but you know, no one 
really in a position to challenge him. Uh, I really like Sebe's sort of compound, or I guess whatever you would call it. Mm-hmm. There's something there's something formidable about his side, and maybe the most formidable component is his wife, who when she's first introduced, oh, yeah. he's trying to sort of like play as though you know he's he's calling the shots, but she clearly is is in charge here. And, and if it was up to her, they, she says like, well, okay, well let's kill Sanjuro after it's done, and then we don't have to pay yeah, him so get Sanjuro to go over, kill the Ushitori, and then or Ushitori and then we'll just kill him and take our money back. Yeah, pretty ruthless. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and then they also have this, uh, it's almost like a brothel or something. Um, it's yeah. what it seems. It seems like that's yeah. their business. Uh, but then after uh, Sanjuro kind of figure this, like he hears, overhears them saying it. And at first it seems like he's going to go on a, like a high noon battle between Saibei's people and Ushitora's people. <laughs> yeah. And then he just says, look, you can basically you can kill me on your own time. And he throws the money back and sits on like a tower and just watches the two gangs. Yeah. And that's each other. I mean, again, that's shot really well. The oh, I, yeah. I really yeah. love the shot of him kind of sitting up at the top and at the bottom of your screen. You see kind of like the two gangs kind of inching towards each other. They they both seem like you know, hey, we have to do this, but we really don't want to. Right. You know? Yeah, I love the, how they're really, really tentatively like moving up. Yeah. I like, don't really want to do it. And, and I also yeah, it's like this game of chicken or something. Off. Yes, totally. And I also really like how they're kind of, kind of prancing around back and forth. And they actually, you know, how I said they seem like caged animals, but here they seem like a pack of like meerkats. You know, all like kind of <laughs> running back and forth and looking up and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know just trying to observe the situation. There's one thing that I I wasn't really sure about that the I forget her name, but the you know the wife of Sebe she kind of does yeah. this thing where she kind of clicks these. Oh yeah, she rocks. clicks that. Yeah, uh, she, yeah. First some... on Sandro's face and then on a couple of other people's faces or something. It almost seems like it's like a blessing or something like that. Mm. I don't, I don't know what it was, but I thought that was really interesting. They're just about to, uh, you know, fight. They're inching towards each other, and then a man on a horse arrives, saying that there's like an inspector that's gonna show up. So yeah. that kind of puts out the flame of this encounter. <laughs> And all of the gangs are like, you, you're lucky the inspector came, yeah. otherwise we totally would have killed you guys. Yes, right. totally, totally. It's, it's <laughs> You know, really it's, it's funny when you uh. think of like so many of the elements of this story, I think really land for a Western audience because even though uh, oh, most of us maybe don't have a background in, you know, hi- historical Japan and we might have trouble with some names or pronunciations, it's like this is such a basic concept to a lot of our storytelling uh, it's like oh the superintendent is you know checking in on the school or um yeah. you know yeah. our, our boss is here and teachers coming yeah, yeah and everyone behaves kind of predictably again like children they go mm-hmm. from children being kind of afraid to actually you know actually do battle and fight and you can tell they're they're almost relieved that there's some kind of some right. kind of excuse not to but then it, it sinks in and you know, it's it's really it's bad news kind of for for business um, that this inspector's coming into town. Yeah, like yeah. you know, two kids in school puffing their chests out like they're gonna fight each other, but they just keep bumping chests and they never actually fight. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's, totally. they they do actually fight. Like there are you know these guys that have swords and they're they're killing each other, and it's there's a history of this. But um, yeah, it just it's just funny to see this kind of attitude. Like they're. 
they're all in this situation that they've set up for themselves. I, I of the two gangs, I do feel like I like Ushitora's side better because yeah, those me too. guys are like like cartoon villains. Yeah, yeah. You've got well, this, and yeah, I like Ushitora. There's just something he has some kind of dignity or something mm-hmm. to him that you know Sebe is kind of depicted kind of right off the bat as a little bit more kind of sniveling and two timing mm-hmm. and stuff. And you can see, you know, like in in art design, they say like, you know, a good character design, you can tell just by the silhouette of that character. Mm-hmm. And, right. you know, Ushitora's side, you can totally just see a silhouette and see like, wow, these these guys are really cool. Like the giant with the mallet. You just say there's literally oh a giant. Gosh, yeah. And, yeah. It's a... and um, yeah, he has like a Donkey Kong hammer, basically. In his... Yeah, totally. Yeah, but... It's like one of them, and he really is like the actor actually is like seven five or something. Yeah, he's this huge guy. Yeah, he's yeah. Amazing. It's like uh, you know, like Andre the Giant or um, yeah, it reminds Jaws. me a lot of Andre the Giant. Yeah, I, I remember. Oh, he definitely up. has like a Jaws kind of flavor. Yeah, too. it's like a, I think that's it's the, like a growth the, hormone like disorder. It's the same thing, the same disorder that makes people grow that tall usually makes your chin like get really massive too. Yeah, so and your brow. It's a super it. distinct look. But I uh, really like uh, Inokichi, the kind of the the buffoon of their crew. Like, yeah, he's yeah, kind yeah, of he's like that guy with like the buck teeth and stuff. Yeah, and he's got like a unibrow. He's like chunky guy, but they say that he's really dangerous, but he's stupid. And actually, <laughs> yeah, he's absolutely... Um, Gonji says, you know, he's a wild boar like his name. And Inoshishi in Japanese means wild boar. So his name is Inokichi. But, you know, there's similar, kind of this yeah. relation. Yeah, it's like a play on words kind of. So he's almost, in a way, he's almost more dangerous because of stupidity. stupidity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the next timestamp we have is 3857. And it just says, Kurosawa plus rain equals magic. Oh, yeah. my gosh. It's, Doesn't it just... Oh. It's like, too it, good. There's, it's this amazing shot with like the rain in the background and all these signs are like softly kind of blowing in the wind and like you can see the reflection of the the water off yeah. of them. And I mean, yeah, one, oh, one thing really cool. I, I was really struck with uh, rewatching it um, is just how precise all the staging just always is. Uh, if I'm looking at maybe like contemporary films, there's really maybe only somebody like Wes Anderson that's like really precisely staging a frame, but that sometimes borders Mm. on almost feeling like a miniature dollhouse or something where Mm. there's, there's something a little bit farcical about it, you know? Um, What's amazing about Kurosawa staging is it's like, it, it feels like this vital kind of living action movie, but like, let's say almost any sequence where it's just uh, Sandro and Gonji in the house, the the blocking and like where they land where they sit where mm-hmm. they st- like hitting hitting their marks in the frame is just yeah. amazing and the focus is always like as sharp as could be it's uh this yeah <laughs> it's just it's really at another yeah. level this movie yeah and in the raining scene it's basically all of the different gangs kind of are coming up to him asking him to be their bodyguard and like making different offers to him but the whole time Sandro is literally sitting in the exact same spot and the camera is just kind of moving around them yeah. instead of um, like there aren't very many reverse shot reverse shots. It's mostly just him and then the camera slightly pans as the people are walking around, but he never moves. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, uh, we should call out the really interesting uh, window shades in Gonji's house, which visually end up being this like framing device. 
you know, yeah. many points yeah, in the right. film. It's really, really a beautiful, beautiful thing how that all works. And when mm. you think of some of these sequences, it's like the staging is so elaborate because you have people way off in the distance that need to be hitting certain marks when the window opens inside this little hut and they're all hitting these. Yeah, it's... Mm-hmm. It's amazing, you know. Oh, there, yeah, so there might not be like the kind powerful. of action choreography that we might see in some kind of Yun Wu Ping or Samuel Hung, Hung thing, but mm-hmm. there's definite visual, you know, choreography going on. No, the, the yeah, let's say the visual aesthetic really is in, like a lot more engaging than you'd think. Like just seeing how yeah, everyone totally. fits into the frame, like you're saying. And next, we get another kind of funny, iconic character with Unosuke, who is this like he's kind of. Kind of has like a samurai kind of look to him too. Only he literally just has a revolver, and he kind of yeah. He's more the of the sort of pretty boy kind of thing. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's definitely not as like rough and grizzled. He's definitely a lot younger and kind of. I have a feeling he kind of fancies himself a cowboy because every chance he gets, he pulls this revolver <laughs> out of out of his robes. Yeah, yeah he, he does have gun. a lot of affection for the gun, and he yeah. he uses it to kind of take control of the situations he's mm-hmm. involved in he's played by tatsuya nakadai so he's also uh you know kurosawa's a man that really liked to use a lot of the same yeah. actors in a lot of the but time like yeah. in almost every <laughs> kurosawa movie yeah and um you know yeah, that even... kind of reminds me of wes anderson too it's like i, I yeah. do think these... I think a lot of auteur actor directors are kind yeah, of like, like that. you know, if when a director has you know certain demands like that, it, it's sometimes difficult finding the actors that can kind of work at that at that pace. Mm-hmm. And Nakadai himself was pretty popular at the time of this movie's release already. So if you see like the trailers for this movie, they really play up Nakadai versus Mifune. Ah. And even even so much as like certain shots from the movie are like kind of done where so like towards the end of the movie there's the iconic shot of them all approaching each other and uh, they do that same shot but with everybody else out of the shot so it's just unosuke and uh, sanjiro like approaching each other so um he was like a big draw and you know we're we're kind of like what like almost 40 minutes into the movie and or, or 45 minutes in and you just get to see this character now He's the brother to uh, Ushitora and Inokichi. So this is kind of like a wrench in Sanjiro's plans because he thought it would be pretty easy to play these two sides and pit them against each other. But now we've mm-hmm. got this wild card in the mix. And he's an yeah. awesome character. I love, you know, visually too, he's kind of got this lighter outfit as opposed to yeah. Sanjiro's darker outfit. So even, again, you know, you know the cinematic side of things like, Kurosawa is such a genius in how he can stage all of this. Right. Well, and it's great that he's he's an appealing character, even if you don't like him and you identify him as, you know, a, a sort of a villain, you know, right from mm-hmm. the get-go. Uh, you still just really want to watch him. He's just engaging on screen. And, uh, you know, that kind of reminds me of a lot of the classic, uh, you know, Hollywood movies that might have been an influence on this, some of the original Westerns, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, sometimes the villains were some of the most... Uh, entertaining kind of funny in some ways like likable (laughs) characters yeah like seriously if you would see a picture you know without knowing the movie at all if you would see uh sanjiro's character next to unosuke i feel (laughs) like a lot of people might might think think that unosuke is the yeah lead and sanjiro Mm -hmm. is like the antagonist 
because yeah, he's the young pretty boy and the kind of old grizzled guy, but nope, grizzled guy is the good guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit not too long after we meet him, we see the superintendent comes into town and the gangs kind of want to get rid of him. And we find out that, uh, who is it that the magistrate's like brother gets assassinated or something like that? Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, so like in the town over. Um, yeah. yeah. So what it is is that Ushitora kind of has like some of his goons go and commit a murder. They're going to like draw out the inspector. and um, But what happens is that these guys are kind of some little uh, goofball goons. And they're at Gonji's tavern. And they kind of are getting drunk. And they kind of are talking a little too much. And uh, they head out. But... Sanjiro corners them and he says like oh you know you guys are worth a lot of money like I can he, he, you can see the gears in his head like he's figuring out <laughs> yeah. how he can make this you know th- this tension between the two groups like keep boiling and boiling so it's really great this scene too it's like a little burst of action but what it is is that uh, Sanjiro kind of like gut checks one with his uh, scabbard and then mm-hmm. he slices the other guy their names are yeah. Kuma and Hachi I believe Oh, yeah. And, you know, the viewer believes, oh, he killed this guy. But yeah. it's such a great, like, misdirect because he kind of nudges him. And you're like, oh, wow. Like, is he just checking to make sure he's dead? But mm. the man isn't dead. And Sanjiro right. is so skillful that he just chopped his clothes off. Yeah. And he stands <laughs> back up and, and his shirt just kind of falls off of him. We yeah. see he has this great big uh, back tattoo. It's great. And he's all the whole staging of that, of that sequence is, mm-hmm. is great. The camera's at you know, kind of more of a distance than you would expect. And mm-hmm. it's just, the shadows play such a big role. In that yeah, it's very like bit. film noir almost with yeah. like seeing oh, the shadows before you see the person lock yeah. in the frame. Yeah, it's funny actually, uh, some people speculate that there's some of the hard-boiled film, uh, or not film noir, but hard-boiled kind of detective fiction like Dashiell Hammett and then some of those films that were adapted from those books that those kind of played a, played a influence on Kurosawa for Hujimbo as well. So there, are, yeah, there are these moments where you get almost this kind of film noir flavoring. It's yeah, just really great. And now we now is whenever all of the gangs kind of keep trying to bribe him and keep trying to like uh, uh, Saibei's wife is basically throwing girls at him to try to get him to go on their side. And then um, Ushitora finally agrees to give him um, a whole bunch of money. It's like, and the the money that they talk about is Rio, right? Yes. That's called. And Rio, I looked it up. Rio are basically gold, like thin gold bars, mm-hmm. and it was like the highest, the highest form of currency in uh, Edo, Japan. And there's not really a good way to translate it to modern day, but it the thing said it's kind of like essentially would be like you know, $500 would be like a Rio. So he's going around asking for, you know, thousands of dollars in, oh. in modern currency. Uh, I love that scene earlier in uh, Sebe's house where he's offering him like a certain amount of Rio and <laughs> Sandra just starts walking away, basically saying it's like not enough. And, and at one point he literally says, add a zero at that. Yeah, talk. add a zero. And it's great. It's like he's literally has the door open and about to walk outside when he's finally hit the, the number. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's that. really good. And, you know, Seibei's already got his own, like, set of samurai that, you know, have been working under him. And basically, like, the the head of his crew at that time, 
you know, shows up and he's kind of oh, insulted, you know. He he comes into the room but he sits across the way and he's like, "You know, yeah. you should you should sit next to him." He's like, "Well, he's, you know, worth this much and I'm only worth this much, so mm. uh, I you know, I I'm not worth worthy of sitting next to him." Very cool, very cool. Yeah. Well, mm. He's and, another uh he's another Kurosawa. Yeah, Kurosawa um, regular. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. is kind of like a prisoner exchange kind of thing where I'm trying to remember who who has who cuz I know it's Yeah, so those um, those two those two, the two goons th- yeah, those two goons that kind of blabbered when they were drunk. Yeah, I think Uchitara has those or, or no. Or it's Uchitara's goons and Saibe has them now and he has to he's trying to exchange them. Right? Yeah, so so, so yeah, what happens is that so Ushitora's uh, goons Kuma and Hachi were sent over to uh, Seibe by Sanjiro. What happens is that Unosuke, in retaliation, captures Yoichiro, uh, Seibe's son, and and that's pretty brutal yeah. too because he's leaving because uh, he'd be the heir of the of like their estate or whatever. Right. Right. So Unosuke and Inokichi corner Yoichiro and another man, and uh, they say, "Don't kill Yoichiro," but they totally kill the other guy. And it's what he does is he, um, you know, when they're coming out of the the house, they corner him, and the other guy is like stuck in a corner, and Inokichi slashes him, and you see blood splurting up yeah, against the, back the, of wall. the wall. Yeah. So the thing that's really cool is, you know, even though this movie's black and white, like the violence is like you know way like we've got the chopped arm from earlier before but blood is splurting like a like a geyser from some character and there's something almost more effective about it in black and white um yeah i know in the in the finale the sort of blood sputtering on the ground yeah because it it almost sort of takes a second for your eye to realize what's happening Mm -hmm. because of the yeah you you get the shock of of gray yeah yeah, the shock of the act of the violence and not the shock of the violence itself, I guess, you know? Yeah, no, so, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So, so what happens is they want to have an exchange between the two. But when um, mm-hmm. they're going to perform the exchange, Unosuke takes his gun out and he just kills the two guys. This is whenever he just pulls out yeah. and just kills the two guys. Kuma and Hachi. So then you almost think that, like, uh, Sebe kind of he he says like i knew this something like this was going to happen so he's like how about this and then they pull out uh, a young woman and up to this point you have no idea who this character is right. but the yeah. um you see that unosuke kind of reacts like very shocked to this and yeah. um ushitora is like you know whoa like what is you know what how dare you so then this is kind of like another standoff and um, they said they're going to have an exchange tomorrow. So it's like, yeah. even though they just did this. And they it's just did like, an exchange. Now they're going to do another exchange. Yeah, it's in like the morning, two in the morning. The night. So the next day. But what you find out is that this woman is kind of like the two uh, mayors of the town. Um, one of the mayors kind of like uh, earned this woman Taza- through like. Tazaimon or something. Yeah, like Tazaimon. He kind yeah. of got her in like a gambling like situation yeah, where it's like a young her husband yeah. owed him money for gambling debt and literally basically sold his his wife to yeah. him not only his wife but his house and everything so like, yeah mm-hmm. it's uh yeah pretty messed up so um you know there's value to this woman's life so uh this leads us to the next day and the next day we you see the wife's uh son is in the tavern with uh, Sanjiro and Ganji and he they're like watching over the exchange 
as they kind of push the push the woman towards and are exchanging for um who are they exchanging on the other side i because I couldn't remember I was too... It's Yoichiro, Seibei's uh, That's right, it's, it's the yeah. sun. That's right. And so, and, and this time, instead of there just being like a couple of guys doing the exchange, it's like the entirety of both gangs are yeah. on both sides. And there's that same sort of like game of chicken. Each side is really tentative and kind of moving forward with the other person. And, but then her son, this little boy, is in the, in the tavern. And when they open those, mm-hmm. those blinds that we talked about, uh, he starts kind of screaming for his mother... <laughs> Yeah. So then she runs and, kind of and she she's stronger running, than her, she's you know. Okay. But he's he's all she's all tied up but he she literally drags the guy and, and goes over to hug uh, her husband and her uh, and her son. But then they are able to, to finish the exchange. Yeah, and you get like a new well, I you get it at the reveal of her character in the nighttime uh standoff and it's like this musical cue it's kind of like this really sad musical cue Mm -hmm. and they play that again in this scene and i think it's really Mm -hmm. effective yeah and because really like prior to that there's kind of one sort of musical idea that that's running through most of the score it's it's like this rising and falling like minor third it almost sounds to be like the beginning of wong fei hong's theme but then it doesn't yeah continue on but then yeah as soon as as soon as we meet her there's that new material and so it's yeah i'm totally with you it almost kind of it's at this point in the movie where it's like oh there's a new story that that we're actually like really going to be invested in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you find out this story in the scene after the exchange and sanjuro's character kind of reacts very aggressively towards the situation he's kind of saying towards the the young man how like he hates people like him and he can't be, you know something like that like very uh, looking down upon his situation and how he could let this happen to his family. So she's in the in the house that the the uh, one mayor, the silk mayor, Tazeamon is. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so she's back in the house, uh, supposedly with I think six six or so guards of Ushitoro's men, and uh, Sandro knows oh, that her husband is... lives close by in like a very yeah. In almost like a little uh, shanty little or something, kind of. Um, and so he goes to Ushitora, basically taking him up on an offer that he rejected earlier. And and he gets a bunch of money from Ushitora. And yeah, or I might be playing that then, out of order, but he's coming back to him and, and kind of checking checking up on this woman and kind of insinuating that oh, however many guards you have on her is is not enough. And Ushitora is really caught up with just the fact that. Sanjiro is working for him so he's kind of eating up everything he's saying <laughs> right so you know and he he also is playing you know Kichi as well building him up like hey like he says like six guys over there and he's like well maybe if they were all as good as this guy like kind of you know rubbing his ego a little bit and um, <laughs> right yeah so uh, yeah I think this is like Matthew's favorite scene where yeah um, he says okay so- what I'll do is I'll go over and check on her with Inokichi, and we'll we'll take care of everything. Yeah, and he says Inokichi, oh hey, isn't the loser that that lost the the woman? Uh, doesn't he live over there? And Inokichi's like, yeah, I'm gonna go beat him up. <laughs> and so he runs over and starts beating him up. But then Sandro runs in and says, oh no, all six of the guards have been killed. You gotta tell Ushitora. 
and he goes running and then and then we see one of the guards step out and you're like well he's still alive and then Sarenjuro just slashes him and just takes out all six of the guards It was like a pre-order, basically. (laughs) Pre-order. And it's also like a speed run because he goes in and he just slices everyone up immediately. And he runs out. He gets he gets the woman back with her husband and son and like just throws them all the money that Ushitora gave him. And it's one of those great kind of anti-hero moments because Mm -hmm. um, you've you've seen Sandro you know, really kind of straddle the the moral line, I guess, kind of throughout this movie. And yeah. you're not really sure where he stands. And this is that great kind of moment where he's doing the right thing, but he's really kind of aggressive and tough about it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And he's they're really mad at them. Yeah. For, they're for just too just grateful and, and too, too overcome that um, <laughs> they're not kind of hopping foot fast enough, but it also just makes for great, yeah. you know, movie making. Cause you're nervous about uh, the, you know, the next troop of guards coming back. And mm-hmm. yeah, this is a great, amazing scene. <laughs> and um, what my, the thing that makes this my favorite bit besides just that awesome, you know, bit earlier is then he walks in and realizes that like, it's really like clean. Cause he literally just killed the people and that's it. Like there was yeah. no struggle at all. So he just drags the one guy he killed outside and engine just wrecks up the place to make it look like there was more of a struggle. Yeah, he makes like there like was a, more of a, a fight scene out of it. He like breaks a bunch of doors and like mm. um, tears a bunch of there's a bunch of bamboo scattered everywhere and everything. Yeah, it's one of those things um, you could you don't, you could only have one take for that I imagine because it's mm-hmm. yeah. And then yeah, Sandro ends up saying like, oh, this had to have been like fourteen or fifteen men. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that would have done this and then he whenever he comes back out i love it because he comes back out and there's this big sting uh because the three people are still there like the the husband wife and the son are still just standing there because they're like you know trying to trying to thank him and and he gets really mad at them and he like calls him an idiot and says never come back here again right yeah again like you said it's that great anti-hero thing he's doing the right thing but he's kind of being a jerk about it you know because like you know in his blood he is a samurai you know and they they have a code even though he's kind of fending for himself so that's that's something that's still in him and he's he does want to do good one of my favorite moments shortly after this is when he's back at uh, Gonji's place and he just couldn't be happier. He's like, he's just ecstatic. And you find out why it's because it's because he now knows what a good guy Sancho is. It's just, I don't know. It's really sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's like, kind of a it, major. Good. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a major plot point too, because what the reason is he knows that that he did good because they came back and they left a note for him. But even yeah, even before right. that, even before that, I want to kind of address the situation in the town because now it's kind of like mayhem where yeah. Um, oh, yeah. the, the gangs are his... kind of like destroying everything. So mm-hmm. they're lighting the silk like merchants house on fire and the sake yeah. brewers like you they're know they're destroying all the barrels yep. that the sake's in and there's an amazing shot of unosuke standing in front of the burning house and uh 
he's just kind of got this intense evil look and the flames are shooting out of the building behind him it's it's really really iconic oh yeah it's a very very like like you're saying almost cartoonishly evil kind of like literally laughing at a burning building Uh, there's a great line from the coffin maker where he says, when the fighting gets this bad, they don't even bother with the coffins. Oh, man, yeah, so crazy. That. This is such a cool scene. Whenever he sees that, uh, whenever, like you're saying, whenever the restaurant guy was is uh, super excited that, you know, you're not a really bad guy. I know you're a good guy. And he has the letter. Um, then that's whenever some of the goons come in and and including Unosuke or right, Unosuke? Yeah, Unosuke you know, and... Unosuke. Uh, Ino Kichi. So I, yeah. I kind of just say Uno and Ino. <laughs> Uno and Ino, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they come in and he sees the note. Uh, Sanjuro sees the note. And it's really great because while the Uno and Ino are uh, kind of kind of looking him over, he's like trying to really subtly either grab the note or to grab onto his sword, but then just keeps getting yeah. like keeps getting caught running, does it? Which that's a total Western thing where like the they're really quietly trying to grab his gun while the bad guy's talking. Well, to yeah. me, it, it also has like a hard boiled film noir detective. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, and especially this the scene that follows. Yeah. It, I don't know. It just feels like, um, yeah, just like a great 40s mm-hmm. film noir. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. And the only thing that makes it not film noir is that he's not smoking a cigarette. He's drinking sake. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, but it's totally like it totally will be a moment where he's just kind of sitting there trying to look all cool. But you could even see in his eyes that he's like super concerned and like knows that these people are going to, you know, kill him or or beat the crap out of him if he's not able to get out of the situation. Yeah, because he was, you know, uh, we did see him do good, but he was playing both sides. He was lying to them and everything. And, you know, finally, this catches up to him. So they kind of cut straight to him being like. He's just yeah. laying so, on yeah, the they, ground. They figured out. They see the note and see. Oh yeah, no, you did free those. Those you did free the woman. Yep. And and he is he is getting the crappy out of him. Yeah, he's he's pretty rough. The giant is watching over him. Kanuki, and, his uh, name is Kanuki. Kanuki, yeah. And he, it's great because one of the one of the goons is like, you know, saying like, hey, you know, be careful whenever you hit him. Like he's not supposed to kill him. And Kanuke pushes the goon. The goon's like, "Hey, I remember a push from you is like a like a beating from a from a normal man." <laughs> yeah. Um. So he Sandra is able to uh, he like hides in a box that's in the room. The whenever they come back, the guards come back in. They don't know where he is, so he's able to like sneak his way out. Uh, Carlos has he says salt snake escape time. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I was kind of thinking about that in, of course. in MGS one. <laughs> whenever like you have to hide under the bed or or do the catch up and all that. Exactly, that's exactly what I was thinking of. <laughs> it's me, Autocar. Wow, they even captured you. Hurry, get me out of here. Let me go. That hurts. Hurry up. Is that how you ask a guy a favor? <laughs> one of my favorite moments is when he's you can just see how brutally beaten Sandra has been and he's trying to open this door and he has almost no strength and there's this light that's reflecting on his face on the door and he looks back and it's the lock on this uh sort of mm-hmm. not coffin but it's yeah some sort of a uh, chest yeah and I don't know it's it's one of those great visual beats where you can kind of just almost see the person thinking and 
love that. I did see okay. a, a little uh, interview segment with one of the camera workers for this scene. So there's a shot Ooh. of uh, Mifune kind of crawling under the building on the outside with everybody walking around. Mm-hmm. And uh, what it was is the cameras they were using like had these specific focuses. And I, you forgive me, I'm not like a cinematic scholar, so I don't know all the terms that they're talking about when it comes to these cameras and stuff. But he said that it was kind of impossible for them to film it like the way that he was positioned. So the cameraman actually had to kind of go under the floorboards and kind of map out where Mifune was going to be crawling and just memorize it. And kind of he had to like seriously like marionette the camera from up above and shoot it underneath. And he had to just do it by memory. Like he wasn't able to see what he was filming but he got it right he got it perfectly by uh just memorizing where he was it's insane the amount of work that they put into oh that gives you chills wow i have so much respect for cameramen i mean in even today but especially whenever you had to like just know and literally measure focus with like a measuring tape because you know yeah. you don't you're literally not going to see how it turns out until after you develop the film yeah that's crazy this mm. you know we're in this era of instant gratification right but yeah you can't yeah. match so this true. quality you know like and mm-hmm. and like you said it was something that they didn't know if it was good until you know the stuff got developed it's crazy i can't even mm. think about it <laughs> <laughs> but so sanjuro gets back to uh, to Ganji's, some of the guards like try to get in there, and and he's able to hide. Um, Sanjiro says, "Go next door and buy a coffin." Ganji says, "How can you just give up like that?" <laughs> then Sanjiro says, "You idiot! I'm not dying yet. There's a bunch of guys I have to kill first." <laughs> Yeah, that's oh, such a great line. Amazing line. So cool. Ushitora's men uh, are now, like, they're now completely fed up with Saibei. Now they decide they're basically just going to kill all of them. Yeah. And they smoke out Saibei's men and they, like, you know, set kind of set it on fire and get all of the people to run out and literally just kill them as they're running out. Like, everyone, even the even the women that are living there, too. Yeah, and this is, rough. I mean, even though there is a lot of brutality in the movie, this is this is pretty shocking, this sequence of the film. And I mean, I think the mm-hmm. moment that you see Mufune so bruised and, and bloodied, um, you kind of, you sort of smell the ending of the film coming. But this is that, we're sort of like rapidly escalating to an ending that we won't be able to double back from, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's weird, even though we really don't like uh, Sebe at all. It's, I don't know. I'm so sad seeing him, seeing him go. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Not only him, but you know, his wife and his son, and they his all son, yeah. meet their demise in this scene. And this is another thing in this movie is that um, I feel like, the wind in this town is almost its own character that you know anytime there's a really (laughs) tense scene or you know something that's very dramatic is like you get this intense wind blowing through the town so you see everyone's clothes blowing around and you see these big plumes of dust like blowing around and um i also saw a thing where 
Kurosawa was telling his actors, like, keep your eyes open. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, he they had these big fans blowing the dust around and everything. Oh, and he boy. said, you know, like, I want you guys to hold your eyes open while we're filming this. You know, you can imagine how hard that must have been. But in the end, yeah. you get these amazing, iconic shots like this. It's, it's really yeah. cool. And even more so, like, towards the finale that we're leading up to, like, when you see the scene, if if there wasn't wind blowing like it is, you know, as they're walking up towards each other, like the it would be half as dramatic as it is. No, I think I think you're totally right. That's right. Now is whenever they Gunji and the casket maker are carrying Sanjuro back and to you know doff somewhere to get to recover. He says, "Oh, what's going on?" I said, "Oh, they're smoking outside bay." And he's like, "Oh, that sounds interesting. Set me down." And they set him down, and, and he watches, like, peeking out of the coffin. Uh, but then after all of this, you know, brutality happens, then um, the one of the guys runs off. The, yeah, the, the casket maker the, runs off. The coffin maker, yeah. he, he ends up running off in the middle of this, uh, you know, dramatic scene because everybody's getting yeah. killed. So you, I mm-hmm. can't really blame him for running away. But um, the... <laughs> right downside to this situation is that you needed two people to carry the basically the basket like the that gonji was transporting sanjiro secretly in so he tells uh gonji tells sanjiro that oh you know he ran off so he's like you got to get somebody to help and he's like oh it's really bad actually inokichi is coming this way and sanjiro says you gotta trick him. You gotta get him to help. Yeah, just, he's like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> and actually, he's like, uh, "Just Gonji, try." <laughs> yeah, Gonji does a really good job of uh, convincing him. He kind of plays up how, like, kind of. Yeah, he does a little uh, like reverse psychology thing yeah. on him, where it's like, "Ah, no, well, I guess yeah, you wouldn't be able to do this." He's you're like, "Oh, scared. you're probably being too scared. I'm going to the cemetery." And, he's like, "I'm not scared. Yeah, you know, I see Kichi's, ghosts. I get relieved." <laughs> he's such a simple minded guy that it's very easy to manipulate him this way but yeah. he's my favorite character i love you know kichi so much <laughs> he's, he's such good, a yeah. goofy a villain you know it's like <laughs> you can tell that he really is scared of being in the cemetery but right um, but yeah, there's like a actually... sweet-hearted thing to him he, I, I don't know he just reminds me of like he's the one character that somehow feels like some bridge to the kind of like hong kong sensibility in a lot I, of the even before you said or... it i knew that's what you were gonna say and i totally <laughs> agree he totally is characterized it, similar to all of these hong kong action movies that we love oh, yeah and um, oh, yeah, there's totally lots of movies that we've watched in the past that their characters similar to that yeah yeah for sure so gonji does end up shooing uh inokichi away telling him you know hey you know your brothers are gonna be looking for you and he's like oh crap i gotta get out of here but even when he's running off you can see he's kind of like oh i'm in a cemetery (laughs) this is so creepy so um following that you know sanjiro kind of stands up out of this little uh case that he was in he looks like really bad and um gonji says to him you know like something like oh you you look like you're dead and the thing that i really love is then he smiles and he's like that makes it worse <laughs> it's, it's even worse whenever you smile <laughs> <That's great>. yeah <laughs> and he really does look rough yeah and he says you know uh there there's a temple nearby and sandra says oh i'll be better in a couple of days mm-hmm. and then he just passes out onto the ground <laughs> and then we get to see a, a few days into his recovery he has this knife that he grabbed earlier 
and he's like throwing it and sticking like a little piece of paper and then taking the knife out, throwing the paper out again, waiting for it to blow around and dry, like doing target practice, basically. Mm -hmm. And the way that they actually did that was it was a reverse uh, thing where they filmed it in reverse. So they have the knife stuck into the leaf. And they have kind of a string. Yeah. And if you look close, you can see the string on the knife in the shot. And then they just pull it out and the wind blows it around. But it's very effective. It's really cool to see like this kind of you know movie magic going on. So what happens now is that... Um, now it's the finale. Yeah, we're getting to the yeah. finale. So uh, Sanjiro is recovered and he's expecting Gonji to come and visit him with some supplies. But actually it's the coffin maker that shows up and he tells him that Gonji's been captured by Ushitora because they you know they want to get at Sanjiro and um Sanjiro is like filled with conviction he's like okay I'm gonna finish this and uh, thankfully the coffin maker comes across a lot of swords in his business with all the dead people right and uh now that's right because he has just the knife and he says are you gonna you gonna kill him with a knife he's like I'm gonna make sashimi out of (laughs) oh right yeah that's that's really good this is like five minutes left of the movie yeah we we get the the finale and yeah for mm-hmm. such a short scene and just everything the build up to this and just the way everything is shot is just perfect i can't get yeah. over how amazing this looks like um i would definitely recommend somebody to watch the whole movie but really if you just saw this scene you would just be floored yeah. by how cool everything is and um yeah it's funny because it's like the kind of you know one man facing against goons in like a dusty town mm-hmm. like it's a very deserted Western. road yeah it, it does feel like a visual language you're really familiar with but like you mm-hmm. guys said i mean this is just iconic it's just it's perfect it's beautiful and also the editing and the score here as you know we do that great kind of cutting back and forth you know to kind of each side getting closer to the other oh mm-hmm. so good And again, like I say, Ushitora side, like, you can see, like, you know, the height difference with the giant guy, and, you know, Ushitora himself is dressed a bit differently, and Unosuke looking very stylish in his outfit, and he, you know, as he's walking forward, he pulls his gun out, (laughs) and uh, you're just like, oh man, like, this is the coolest, like, I just want every movie to look like this. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the coffin maker lets Gonji down, and Gonji is just kind of in awe of what might be happening right now and Mm -hmm. this scene like all the rest of the scenes like as soon as the action begins it ends But yeah. there's a there's a bit of reality to this, you know, like it's not like absolutely I mean, there there are dramatic deaths, but, you know, it's just this, you know, the violence and then, you know, the line between life and death 
is you know so thin in these situations that you know you don't have like triple cuts of a kick or slow-mo or anything like that yeah you just see you know mifune draw his sword and that's right and, um, and it's eerily Unosuke, quiet for yeah for the amount of violence that's you're yep. seeing yeah and Unosuke pulls out his gun and he's going to shoot him and that's whatever mifune or not mifune <laughs> whatever um sanjiro throws the knife into right. his arm yeah and that's that's a rough cut too. E- even before uh, that the the thing that i really love about that is unosuke brings his gun out and he says don't come any closer and you know sanjiro's reaction is of a smile and him actually doubling his pace and that's where mm-hmm. the you know fight really begins so like you said yeah, yeah. yeah he takes his little sword out that he has and he <laughs> throws it at uh, Unosuke and it gets him in the arm so it gets his tracking off so he's wide open for an attack and yeah. uh, he just slices everyone just, up and you yeah. don't get these kind of you know these are the villains of the movie and you don't get these huge like kind of final like hits on all these guys they're just all gone the only character that really gets like a death you know a rewarding death you know cinematically is unosuke and it's really good like what marty was saying earlier you know when it comes to the blood in the movie you know like he's laying face down and he's kind of just kind of gurgling you know his lines out and you see a pool of blood just kind of spreading out underneath him and the only reason there's a really really... gross like sound effect where he's moving around there's like this gross like slop sound yep the only reason you really notice it is because of the reflection of the sky above it Mm -hmm. and he's asking for his gun he says like you know the gun you know i I feel so good with the gun please let me hold it and this is a really cool thing too he says you only i only fired two shots you don't have to worry which you know (laughs) yeah everyone in the audience is like i'm pretty sure it has six yeah you know it's a west revolver but the thing that's so cool about that too is uh sanjuro's reaction to this you know he he obliges him knowing that if i do give this gun to him you know it could you know he he could kill kill me me with it it. but he's so committed and such a badass that he does it anyways and uh yeah. unosuke like the grip of death gets him before he actually does but he does pull off a shot and right yeah. into the ground so it's like who knows what really could have happened in that moment but um, what i love because it's like sandro's character he's never all that concerned with you know saving himself um he kind of laughs in the face of death and really what brings him out into this finale is uh, to try to, you know, protect his friend. Uh, or earlier when he's going into action, it's, you know, for vengeance or trying to protect someone else. So, yeah, there is a really, there's a great sense to this moment when he's handing over the pistol where he's almost kind of willingly walking into his own death if that's if that's going to be the case. Yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. It's It's really cool. So then the other thing that I guess we didn't really mention was at the beginning, Gonji was saying how the two mayors, you know, have this kind of back and forth. And one of them, uh, Tazaiman, which I think we got the names confused when it came to the mistress. Because uh, Tokuemon is the one. Oh, yeah. Tokuemon is the girlfriend. The, and yeah. he's actually played by uh, Takashi Shimura. I yeah, think that's his name. And yeah, he's, he's another like, Kurosawa actor, but also he's in Godzilla in like Toho Kaiju movies. So like <laughs> right. he's like the professor in the original Godzilla and he's like in like, you know, Mothra and the first one with King Ghidorah. 
But yeah, so he's familiar. He's another familiar face, and he doesn't play a huge role in this. The thing with Tazaiman was he would always beat this kind of spirit uh, or drum or like a prayer drum. And uh, you see him at the end of this scene and he comes out and he's banging the drum and he looks like he's insane. Like, yeah, he, yeah, he has the, like this very scary look in his face. And as he's beating the drum, he sees the other mayor in his house and he chases him down and he murders him. So this is kind of like, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know what you would really say is left of the town because the town yeah. is pretty much destroyed. Right. You don't you don't see anybody in the town outside of these two gangs and these other little mm-hmm. kind of characters. So you don't know yeah. what exists of the town outside of that. And pretty yeah, there much seems everyone to be there's like is, something kind of like symbolically strong about that. I, I know you guys were saying that earlier where it's it's like, you know, everyone in town has their windows shut tight. So you're almost kind of filling you have to use your imagination to to kind of fill in actual you know the actual population or whatever yeah it's um, kind of crazy so uh tazaimon actually kills tokuemon so i mean now they're he really walks out and has blood covering his his yeah. robes it's it's kind of crazy yeah, yeah it is. his it's prayer nuts. drum yeah and so there is only one mayor to this town now i mean mm. i don't know what's whatever, left whatever's left of it of the town and you know it's kind of interesting to think about sanjiro's kind of role in this town like you don't know is it like something i don't know did he save the town or did you know it's a lot to think about when it comes to what yeah, is left in this town and there is a you know there's sanjiro there's a sequel to the i mean it's kind of a sequel i this this role was so important that they kurosawa did make another movie right. with the character mm-hmm. of sanjiro uh, Nakadai's Unosuke, like he plays another character in that movie too. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so this is pretty much it. After this, Gonji is saved and the coffin maker's still around, and Sanjiro basically mm-hmm. tells them, All right. He literally says, See you around. Yeah, see you he guys later. Out. and and that's the end of the movie yeah oh man i really enjoy this movie a whole bunch oh man i'm so Um, glad (laughs) it's because again it's one like you you definitely heard us kind of stumbling over names and like who does what because it is a little difficult whenever it's a little convoluted and also names we're not especially familiar with Mm -hmm. right i really liked it and i don't think it's worth it's not too difficult to find because it is kind of considered a a cinematic masterpiece more or less what were some of our favorite moments throughout the film? Like, what's what are some of the moments that are gifable? And some of these gifable moments we're going to post on our Twitter. So uh, be sure to check that out to see some of the stuff that we're talking about here. Carlos, what was your favorite? I I think in regards to like clips like that, like we're talking about, I I have yeah. to go with the dog with the hand in his mouth. <laughs> I know <laughs> that shouldn't be like the one. only thing you see represented from the movie, right. but I mean. We're all going to pick something, right? So oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think th- for me personally, in addition to whatever you guys pick, I think that the dog, you know, we'll, we can get Sanjiro looking at the dog and then the dog running up. And I think that's a really good uh, visual image for me. And I, 
I think that's something I'd like to share with everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Uh, Marty, how about you? Oh man, they're just uh, too many, <laughs> too many to mention. I think it would be really nice to have a, a gif of, there's one moment when he's kind of up on the watch, uh, Sandro's up on the watchtower. We were talking about it. We have the two kind of rival factions inching forward and then inching back. There's like a mm-hmm. few set, there's like a, you know, maybe five second moment um, with a really mm. great series of cuts between the two of those inching forward. I could see that GIF having a lot of uses um, <laughs> in our culture. Um, yeah, otherwise, yeah, there's yeah. a really great moment when the the sort of house samurai of uh, Sebe uh, is like oh. sneaking out the back. Whenever he's and leaving. They, <laughs> yeah, oh, they, have, they have a little exchange. That's That's great. Yeah. Then whenever he's like running down the path, he turns around, looks at Sandro, and just smiles. Yeah, it's oh, really man. cool. I, that's I a good it. one. That I think that's probably the most gifable moment for me. Whenever he's right down the street, turns around, just smiles. <laughs> um, but my favorite moment in the movie, and it's it's pretty gifable too, is the uh, whenever the guy walks out of the house that the the woman is being kept in and. And he just slashes all of them in you know Man, less than yeah. five seconds. I think that's that, such a great yeah represents great the movie really well too. That yeah, so I say that definitely represents the movie the best. I think yeah, for me maybe I would have a funny answer and a serious answer. So for me, like my <laughs> funny answer would be the dog. But for the dog. <laughs> for me, like I guess the serious answer would be from the finale with uh, Sanjiro, you know, his back to the camera, walking towards Ushitora's mm-hmm. group, and you know that them walking towards each other really uh, yeah. you know says all you really need to say about the movie man oh there's another sort of funny moment if i could pick one we talked yeah. about the sort of brothel of sort of uh, geisha that are at the save compound and there's mm-hmm. a moment where they open these sliding doors and the ladies are supposed to almost giving this like cultural program of like song and dance and it's just not very strong and like they're not they're not very together dance wise and there's just this great cut to mufune sort of like not impressed perfect there Um, yeah yeah i mean you could just make a series of of gifts just with mufune reactions yeah reaction gifts face scratching yeah (laughs) that should be Uh, said too that uh kurosawa told you know, Unosuke, well, Nakadai and Mifune kind of to characterize themselves with an animal in mind. And mm-hmm. so Mifune had like the characterization of a dog. So that's why he kind of has this he does all the scratching kind of and twitching the and scratching and stuff. And, stuff. Oh, it's perfect. and um, uh, Nakadai was characterized by a snake. So you can kind of almost think of oh, yeah. with him pulling the gun out of his. Yeah, you, it's kind of like a you know, kind of like a striking sure or like a snake just peeking its head out something like that yeah yeah it's pretty cool i like that and one other uh segment that we were talking about that would be kind of fun is to talk about doing like if you were to do a recast in hollywood what that would look like for for these films But, like we were mentioning before, there kind of was a Hollywood recast. <laughs> or I guess not exactly Hollywood, it's very Italian. But, yeah, or a movie um, that's at least film. very famous in the West. Yes. Yeah. Um, but A Fistful of Dollars, we've mentioned before that it's uh, effectively a remake. And it's 
really, I read that the studio that made Fistful of Dollars actually didn't acquire the rights to Yochimpo. Yeah. So they right. actually got, like, they got sued mm-hmm. and, and settled out of court. Uh, but it's one of those things where it's, om- like, it's hard to say that it's not a remake because not only is the overall story the same, but, like, the earlier scene whenever Sanjuro is, like, kills the guys and then says, you need to make the coffins... It's that same scene just happens in reverse where Clint Eastwood's uh, stranger says to the coffin maker, Get three coffins ready. Uh, huh? My mistake, four coffins. And then afterwards says, eh, you better make that four. Yeah. Like it's the exact same joke. Right. And there's just sort of so many examples little, yeah. of that. And just, you know, it's just the Old West instead of Edo, Japan. Yeah, it's funny. Um, when I, when even... I was looking into it this week, I guess uh, I hadn't realized the the kind of like lawsuit kind of back and forth component. And I didn't realize how much uh, Sergio Leone tried to sort of defend that he didn't make a Yojimbo remake. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting reading through some of his comments there. I mean, who knows? Maybe some of that is just in the face of a, a lawsuit or something. But yeah, there's certainly no, it, no shame you know, in it other, other than not were... having acquired the rights. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is, is just owning up to me like, yeah, this is, you know, a Western remake of Yojimbo. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but... it's it's like you said, there's some stuff that's just straight up the same, like even mm-hmm. down to the dialogue in some uh, portions yeah. of the movie. Yeah. And even the not just the him getting beaten up and carried out of town in a coffin, but even him saying put down the coffin so that I can see one of the gangs killing the other gang yep. and then going and recovering. Uh, but there's def- a bit, I mean, Fistful of Dara certainly is, is an incredible movie on its own, yeah, right? Absolutely. But obviously yeah. outside of the, outside of the realm of this podcast, but yeah, I do. Uh, I do. I would say that. And I actually, I should say that I talked to Alex a bit about this movie, our friend, and um, he said, okay, yeah, Yojimbo is definitely better than Fistful of Dollars, but he would place, the good, the bad, and the ugly above both of those movies. So I, I respect oh, yeah. his opinion a lot. Yeah, and, no, and I, I do I respect agree. that totally. And I, I feel the same way. Like I do feel like Yojimbo is, to me, much better than Fistful of Dollars. But it's mm-hmm. it's a great movie too. It's it's really yeah. cool seeing like you know for the episode I watched them both knowing this and it's cool seeing that you know back and forth. And what mm-hmm. I what I had read was that Sergio Leone was very you know he admired yojimbo and that's one of the reasons why he wanted to do it so i i can imagine that it, in a way it was kind of sad for him to have to go through that situation yeah. after looking up to this movie yeah. for you mm-hmm. know inspiration and stuff like that but it, you know it's definitely interesting no i'm yeah. just i'm just eager to know what we're in for uh on the next episode carlos can you give us a little tease yeah i was gonna say carlos what uh okay what's our, what's yes. our training for next week so i think we're gonna be doing something similar to when we were uh discussing uh female action leads where we kind of mm-hmm. hit up each decade so um yeah, I think the next thing that we're going to do, you know, since Yojimbo was 1961, so I think when it comes to the 70s in Japan, you're going to have to, and action, I should say, you're going to have to talk about Sonichiba. Ooh, so yeah. um, I think the 
logical choice for us is to do uh, this, the Street Fighter. And not just because I love Street Fighter, and it's unrelated <laughs> yes. in its own right, right? So, uh, but this is just something... Japanese and involves people fighting in streets, but sure. it's unrelated otherwise. Yeah, so I definitely think that this would be uh, a really fun next step in our mm-hmm. little, uh, you know, tour of Japan. Street Can't Fighter. wait. Definitely check that out. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, be sure to check us out on uh, Facebook. Just search Heroes 3 Podcast there. Uh, check us out on Twitter at Heroes 3 Podcast. That's the number three. And we're going to be posting all the gifts and moments of that. So go over there and tell us what your favorite parts of that were. Or just check us out for the first time. Leave us a comment and all that stuff. So until next week, whenever we are looking at the Street Fighter... I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Remember your training. Heroes 3 is part of the Mercado Brothers Podcast Network.